become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the bodies. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. God, we thank you so much that you are a gracious and a kind God to us. We thank you that you speak to us and that you shape us and that you don't give up on us. That you're a God who loves us despite knowing our hearts and despite knowing what we're capable of. We pray this morning that you would challenge and change us and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few months ago, while we were all asleep one night, something happened on our roads. It was this. Cutouts of yellow men and women got put up on the side of our roads on the way to uh, the Gold Coast. Now, the first time you've seen these things, and maybe this is you this morning, you've never seen these things before, and this is the first time you've seen these. The first time you see these things, there is something weird that happens because it kind of feels like what happened was someone came home with a prep activity of them cutting out men and women, and then their parent just happened to be in government and said, you know what, I've got a good idea, let's put this on the side of the road. And so that's what happened. And so naturally, we saw these cutouts, and every one of us asked, what are they there for? Why are there cutouts on the side of our road? Well, this week, I saw the answer to it. I know it's not a new news article in which I saw the answer to it, so I'm not claiming to be on the cutting edge or anything like that. But basically, what these cutouts are there for is to tell you that there is some safety equipment beneath the surface nearby. And what they're doing is they're tapping into the psychology of the whole thing and they're, they're tapping into the psychology of it. So when we drive past now, subconsciously, we drive more safely because we think there's people on the side of the roads. And now, the crazy thing is they reckon it works. Apparently, that works. And it's this warning that there's something beneath the, the, beneath the surface. There's something deeper going on. And so we all drive safely. Maybe it's another reason that you need to put up the cutouts of your kids, you know, men and women up in your house. Who knows? Maybe they'll start being more safe as 
I'd probably say that's manipulation, so maybe we don't tap into that. But that's what the government does. So now we know when you see these yellow things on the side of the road, you know that they're there to warn you that there is something going on beneath the surface. Now the interesting thing is, as we gather here together today and we open up God's Word, we continue in James where we left off last week. James is going to act in the same kind of way today. This passage is going to act in the same way. James is going to warn us that there's actually something deeper going on beneath the surface. Something we do every day, James is going to warn us that there's something more going on than what we think is going on. And he's going to warn us about our tongue, about our words. And so naturally, we're going to ask the question, right, what is going on when we speak? What is the deeper thing going on when we speak, and why do we need to know it? Well, if you have your Bibles there, have them open in James chapter 3. We pick it up in verse 1. This is what he says. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. What's going on beneath the surface when we speak? Well, James is going to give us three warnings here today. Three warnings here today about our words. And the first warning comes to teachers. The first warning is to teachers. And it makes sense that he warns teachers because it's those who are paid to speak a lot. Now, uh, we should just say this is not your prep teacher or your school teacher or university teacher. James is thinking first and foremost here of the people who are teachers of the church, the pastors. Because pastors and teachers have this uh, uh, amazing chance to influence people and teach people and lead people towards Christ. James is ultimately saying here, words are powerful. Now, what a beautiful example we had this week with Billy Graham. If you saw uh, the passing of Billy Graham and even in his death, he left a wonderful legacy of what it means to trust in Jesus. With his words, he led people towards Christ in his death. He said, you know, uh, he wrote something down uh, before he died, saying that in that moment he's going to be with Christ, it's going to be great. There's even this story of how uh, Billy Graham had this chance to speak to big people, influential people of the world. And there's this one story of, of him being invited to speak to George Bush. And George Bush says of Billy Graham, he didn't come to speak politics, he came with one agenda to speak about Jesus. What a beautiful example of a teacher, of a pastor that spoke about Jesus. And if you don't know who he is, I mean, he was influential more so really from the 1950s onward. Lots of people, I think, that maybe we're not even aware of became Christians from Billy Graham's teaching. Teachers, pastors have this chance to influence, to use their words for people's good, to lead them to Christ for God's glory because words are powerful. But the opposite then is true too. If words are powerful, then teachers also can lead people away from Christ, into evil. And we, we don't have to think too hard about that. I mean, we just think of cult leaders, people that claim to be Jesus and lead people down this path where they do crazy things. And so James says to teachers, because of the power of words, you will be judged more strictly. He says not many of you should be teachers because you'll be judged more strictly. Did anyone else get to work this week and their first job was try and explain why you should reconsider your job? There's some irony here, right, of me teaching on a passage that says you should reconsider what you're doing because the God of the universe is going to judge you more strictly. 
I know going into ministry, people said you need to have thick skin because people are going to say things that are going to haunt you for years and they're going to say things that are discouraging. I wasn't expecting it from God. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it from James chapter 3, but here we are telling us to reconsider what we're doing. Is that really what James is saying? Is that really what God is saying to us? Well, the, the context helps us a little bit, right? Remember, James is writing to churches that were dispersed around the place, which meant lots of people were teachers around the place. And so sometimes what might have happened is that people might have wanted to go into being a pastor because of, it was a shame and honor society. Maybe there was more honor in it. Maybe there was a bit of that going on. There were lots of teachers around. And so he speaks into that space and says, not many of you should be teachers because God's going to judge you more strictly. But while the context helps us a little bit, ultimately what James is saying here should be applied to us as teachers and pastors. And I know that here this morning, right, that there are a few of us and not every one of us is going to go into ministry. Some of us can't for whatever reason. But it is worth seeing what James is saying here. That teachers of a church hold a responsibility because words are powerful and ultimately God will hold us accountable. There is a weightiness to the job that we have. Which means that when we're thinking about preparing the talk each week, our first thought, and I don't know if this is going to burst your bubble, isn't, what are you going to say? Our first thought is, I know in this moment I'm held accountable to God for what I have to say. And so you see here, James is warning teachers who have to speak. But there is also a warning here to those of us who teach in any space in leading people towards Jesus. Right? Well, I guess we have to see that as well. If the responsibility is there and God's going to hold us accountable, then that's true for all of us. Whether we're kids church teachers, whether we're youth teachers or growth group leaders, whether we lead the singing here at church or lead us in prayer, whether you're, just a, whether you're a mum or dad in a family and you lead your kids, there is a responsibility on us to use our words to lead people towards Jesus, not away from him. And ultimately, God will hold us accountable to that. So that's the first warning that James gives us to teach us. Right? Not many of you should do it. Reconsider it, because the God of the universe is going to judge us. So you can start to see, right? Words are powerful. There's more going on beneath the surface. But while he starts warning teachers, he then moves quickly to pretty much anyone who uses words at all. We see that in verse 2. We all stumble, he says, in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. What's the second warning that James gives us? Well, the, the second warning that he's going to give us is that words are dangerous. Now, he starts this uh, verse off by saying, we all stumble in many ways. Now, who doesn't love this idea? The idea is pretty much no one's perfect. And we love this. We love it culturally, this idea that nobody is perfect. I mean, the anthem or one of the anthems in the last couple of years to illustrate this point uh, in uh, music is the song called Human. Uh, if you've heard it, it's been on the radio lots. It's uh, even been on ads. And the chorus of that song is, I'm only human after all. Don't put the blame on me. I'm only human after all. Don't put the blame on me. And we love this idea, don't we? No one's perfect, right? Give me a break. I'm not perfect. Now, if you're not up to date with pop culture, right, going back a few years, Molly Meldrum, who's apparently a musical genius, I'm yet to see it, 
but apparently he is, wrote a book called, Ah Well, Nobody's Perfect. Right? We love this idea, don't we, that no one's perfect because we know that we're not perfect. And so we say, well, no one's perfect. Now, this is what James is saying here. In verse 2, he's saying, we all stumble in, in many ways. No one's perfect. But he takes it a step further. He says, but, but if you could control your words perfectly, then you would be perfect. So if you never slipped in what you said, if you never, when you were tired or stressed, said something you shouldn't have, if when someone said something to you first, you never bit back at what they said, if someone, when someone cuts you off in the car and you've got kids in the back, you never said something that you shouldn't, or maybe more importantly, when the kids weren't in the back, you never said something you shouldn't have. If while you were on the sporting field, you never said something you shouldn't have. If while you were gaming, you never said something you shouldn't have. If you've never written that email that you shouldn't have written, if you've never posted on Facebook that you shouldn't have said, if we've never stumbled in any way, James says, you'd be perfect. But we all know, right, we've done that at some point. So we're not perfect. We're only human after all. We're only human. No one's perfect. We hold on to this, which is fine when it comes to each other. The problem, though, is when it comes to God. We're not perfect, and it's not okay to be perfect when it comes to God. And it's not okay to stumble with our words either. And that's what James says in verse 3. He says this, when we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. See what he's saying there? Words are dangerous. Words cause damage. Now, practically, I don't think that we actually need the Bible to tell us this. We all know this. We all know that practically the way that our lives play out, that words cause damage, and it caused damage in two ways. Cause damage, firstly, in the hurtful things said or said to us, and secondly, from the hurtful things said behind people's backs. So firstly, with the hurtful things said, all of us right here today, if we thought about it for a moment, if we thought about it for a moment, all of us here today could think about things that people have said in our lives that have hurt us, that have haunted us. All of us here today, someone has said something to us or lots of things to us that haunt us, that plague us. Maybe they said it without thinking. 
Maybe they said it in the heat of the moment, but all of us have been on the receiving end of hurtful things said. Now, it's interesting. Psychologists say like you need about 10 positive things to outweigh the one negative thing. You might have heard that before. And while I don't think that's necessarily a bad principle to live by, the, real, the, the reality of the moment is that one negative thing can plague us for years. And some of us feel that. Some of us carry deep baggage and deep hurt from the things that people have said. We know that words are hurtful. We know that words are powerful. But the crazy thing is, not only do we understand that words hurt, we've probably actually said things that have hurt people or plagued people. I realized this for me uh, a few years ago. So last week, um, I talked about how I became a Christian when I was 18. And before that, I was the kind of kid that you wouldn't want to hang out with. I'd, I look back. I don't want to hang out with myself. Anyway, I became a Christian and started to change. And hopefully, I'm less frustrating to be around. But a few years ago, uh, I was living with a mate of mine, and it was in the time where you would hack each other's Facebook account. So what I mean by that is you would post something on their Facebook account pretending to be the other person. Anyway, my mate was off the charts with this, and so I went out one day, and my computer was at home, and he just opened it up, jumped on my Facebook account, and he hacked me, and he posted something. And this is what he said, and I genuinely think this is arguably the best hack that anyone has ever done. He posted this, he said, If I have ever hurt you, I'm sorry. Please message me and tell me how. <laughs> That's, that was amazing. <laughs> credit where credit's due. He did well in that moment. I didn't get a chance to, to delete the post um, within a moment that he actually said that. So I got a couple of messages from people saying that I had hurt them. But here's the crazy thing about it. It wasn't from things that I had said in the last couple of years. It was people I hadn't seen for six years and I hadn't said for 10 years. And I had forgotten I'd even said it and I couldn't even remember the complete extent of what I said or the exact details of what I said. But here they were 10 years later holding on to something that I had said to them. This is what words do, right? We know this. Words hurt us. We feel it. We feel the baggage of things that, that, that have been said to us. But the reality is we too have probably said things that have hurt and plagued other people. We don't need James to tell us that our words are like a fire. We understand that in this space. So, th so that's the first way we get practically what James is saying. The, the second way, though, is through hurtful things said behind people's backs or what we would call gossip. Now, I think practically, when we think about this, we understand gossip too causes damage, and practically we see that in our lives as well. Um, I always found as a Christian it was hard to define gossip, and then it was really easy to justify. I don't know if you experienced that as well, but, but I think it's worthwhile actually defining it as something that we say that might tarnish anyone's opinion of one person or a couple of people in any way. If we define gossip as that, as something we say that could tarnish the opinion of a person in any way, that's gossip. Now, here's the way practically gossip uh, takes hold of us, or is like a fire, like James speaks about. So here's the steps that we take, and you know, like I know, that this often happens in, what, 10 seconds. Step one, 
we talk about someone who offended us. But it could be anything there in that moment. It could be someone who's weird or strange or we just don't like or did something you'd never believe. We talk about that person. So we talk about person A to person B. Step two, sorry, step two is meant to be not we speak about it to someone else because that's step one. Step two is that person now has a worse uh, opinion of person A. So person B now has a worse opinion of person A. Step two is not, we speak about it again. That's step one. Step one, we speak about it. Step two, they have a worse opinion of the person than when they began. And step three, they begin speaking about that person with us. Right Now, who hasn't been in this experience? All of us have. And sometimes this happens in, what, 10 seconds. Sometimes this happens in a blink of an eye without us even thinking about it. Now, here's what happens In those short moments, here's what happens. Seven things, I think, happen in those quick moments. Number one, we've caused other people to sin. Number two, we've created division in relationships. Number three, we have become more upset by rehashing the issue over and over. Number four, we have directly and knowingly disobeyed God by gossiping. Number five, we have failed to give the issue properly to God. Number six, we failed to speak properly about the issue to the person that offended us. And number seven, we have failed to forgive the person like Christ has forgiven us. That happens in, what, 10 seconds? The danger of words is real. We don't really need James to tell us about this because I think practically we understand this, that our words hurt others, and when we speak about others behind their backs, there is a world of hurt that happens as well. Words are dangerous. Words cause damage. But, but the reality here is, as we read through this passage, that we start to see words don't simply cause damage to other people. Words cause damage to us. Did you see verse 6 there? The tongue also, he says, is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Words are dangerous because they cause hurt to other people, but words are also dangerous because they send us to hell. Right? You, you've heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. The truth is words will hurt me far more than I realize. Because when we stumble in any way with our words, it corrupts the whole thing. So if we're stressed and tired and we let those words slip, if when someone chirps at us, we bite back and say things we shouldn't, if that car cuts us off and we say words we shouldn't have said, if we say sentences that we shouldn't have said that don't build people up, if we speak behind people's backs, if under pressure on the sporting field we say things we shouldn't say, if when we're gaming by ourselves we say things we shouldn't say, if we write an angry email that we wouldn't have said in person or we shouldn't have said anyway, if we write a Facebook comment that we shouldn't have written or even even if we've said something when we were a teenager that we don't even remember, then we've stumbled. And if we've stumbled, the whole thing has corrupted completely. This is why James uses the pictures that he uses. The bit in the horse's mouth shapes the horse wherever it goes. 
The rudder on the ship shapes the, the ship wherever it goes and a spark lights up a whole fire. Our words create for us a world of hurt because our words can send us to hell. Now this idea shouldn't surprise us because we've heard it before in James and we've heard it before from Jesus. Jesus, when he spoke on a mountain, said things like this. When he spoke on the Sermon on the Mount, he said things like this. You think that to get to God, you just have to be good enough. Right? If you want to get to God, you just have to be good enough. Jesus said, you think that, you just have to do an amount of good deeds. You have to do enough good stuff. And if you do that stuff, then you're going to get to God. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Right? I'm resetting the bar for you. The level to get to God isn't simply good enough. The level to get to God is perfect. So if you say a word in, her, in hate, if you have a thought of lust, he says you fall short of the level that you need to get to God. And this is what James is speaking about here. If we stumble with our words in any way, then we have fallen short of the level it requires to get to God. We're not perfect. We're not good enough to get to God. But see, it's here when we start to realize this and see this that we actually start to tap into the beauty of the Bible. Because when we start to see this, we realize that the answer is not found within. It's found in someone else. See, James uses these illustrations. Uh, the bit in the horse's mouth, the rudder in the ship, the spark in the fire. In the same vein, I think another illustration helps us here, and it's of staining. So a few weeks ago, uh, we had a watercolor fight at youth, on our youth camp. Here's the picture of the results of that watercolor fight. Now, I don't know what it was about it, but putting watercolor in a water gun just makes the whole thing so much more fun. I'm not sure what it is. And you can see there, there was one moment when everyone just decided to go for me. And that's why I'm a different shade to everyone else. But there's just something fun about that, uh, putting watercolor in water guns and having the fight. But here's the thing, right? Once you, when we were filling up the water guns, once you put that drop of watercolor in that, you know, the, I don't know what it's called, the gun, once you put that watercolor into that water, the, the food coloring into that water, there's no going back, right? It's blue, it's red, it's green, it's yellow. There's no taking the coloring back out of the water, right? You just, you can't do that. If you wanted a different color, you need to just start again completely. Because once you put food coloring in, it stains the whole thing. It goes throughout the whole thing. There's nothing you can do to fix that. Now, this is the picture of what our words do to us. When we slip, when we stumble in any way, it stains the whole thing. It corrupts the whole thing. There's no like, you know, fixing it by just adding a few more good things. There's no fixing it by doing a few more good actions. No, we are stained and there's nothing that we can do about it. So what hope do we have? Well, this is the whole reason why Jesus came. As Jesus came, he lived perfectly an unstained life. And then when he died on the cross, the whole point of the cross is that he became our substitute. Right? In fact, Peter speaks of it like this. He says, he who knew no sin became sin so that in him we could have the righteousness of God. He who wasn't stained, who lived perfectly, who never stumbled with his words, who never stuffed up. 
He who knew no sin became sin, took the stain for us so that in him we could have the righteousness of God. So what happens then when we trust in Jesus and when we die like Billy Graham died and we get to the gates of heaven, we're not saying, I'm only human, God. Don't put the blame on me. That's not what we're saying. We're saying, I'm in Jesus. I'm with Jesus. And Jesus says, I've washed him. I've washed her. They're with me. I fixed the stain. I dealt with the sin. This is the beauty of the gospel and the hope that we have. It's that when we stumble with our words, when we start to realize that words are powerful and dangerous, and I think we can't lose the practical application of that either, but when we start to realize that our words actually reveal that within us we are stained and broken, it's then that we turn to a Savior who beautifully loved us and saved us. See why James warns when we speak there's more going on beneath the surface? Because we need to know that if we stumble with our words, the whole thing is corrupted. But how Jesus fixed that problem. So that's the second warning. That words are powerful, they're dangerous, they're damaging. The final warning as we finish off this passage is from verse 9 onwards. And it's that words are revealing. Words are revealing. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praising and curse come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Words James finishes here with. Words are revealing. Now the first point is actually that sometimes our words can be ridiculous. He says, right, you gather together, you praise God, and you curse your brother. It doesn't make sense. Now, if we think about it here today, we would agree with that. You come together, you praise God as the creator, and then you turn around and you slag off someone God created. It doesn't make sense, does it? Right? Like we come and we celebrate that God made the stars by hand and knows them by name, which also means that God made humans by name. And then we hate on the person that God made and loved. It doesn't actually make sense. But James's point here is not just that it's dumb. His point is that actually it reveals something deeper. That's why he speaks about springs and, and water. That's why he speaks about trees and fruit. Because when we speak, it actually shows that there's something going on inwardly. So in that case, when we hate on our brother or sister... Right? When we hate on someone that God created in that moment, it's saying that we have a deeper problem than just the problem we have with the person. And the deeper problem is actually that we have a problem with the creator. See, when we hate on someone for being, and you fill in the blank here for being too loud or too quiet or too quirky or too different or just like everyone else or too dumb, or they speak without thinking, or too blunt, what we're actually saying in that moment is not that we have a problem with the person, but we have a problem with the Creator. Because I wouldn't have made them like that. I wouldn't have made them as loud as they are, or as quiet as they are, or as silly as they are, or as funny as they are, whatever it is. You see, our words reveal our heart. And that's why he speaks of trees and its fruit. That's why he speaks of springs and, and the water that comes out of it. Now again, 
We shouldn't be surprised at what James is saying here because we've heard this idea before from Jesus. In Matthew 15, there is a, an incredible account of people that come to Jesus. They're the, lead, they're the religious leaders of the day. And they come to Jesus and in their minds, it's their job to present people clean to God. It's their job to present people ceremonially clean, unstained before God. And so there's this uh, account of Jesus and his disciples have eaten some food without washing their hands. Now, I know some of us here this morning would have a deep problem with that as well. They're eating without their hands. I mean, imagine the dirt that's going to get in their mouth. <laughs> anyway, the religious leaders come up to the, Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, what's the deal with your disciples? Why are they eating without washing their hands? Now, their issue wasn't that there was dirt on their hands. Their issue was that it broke one of their laws that they created. Right? One of their laws that they thought, if you can do this, you'll get to God. To which Jesus replies this prompt and this powerful message to these Pharisees and these religious leaders. And he says, it's not what goes in the mouth that defiles a person. It's not what goes in the mouth that creates someone or makes someone stained or unclean or corrupt. It's what comes out of the mouth. Because out of the mouth is the overflow of the heart. Jesus says, you only say what's going on in your heart. Now this is, this is huge. Because what this means is, when we make a joke about a minority group, it actually shows that we have a problem with that group deep down. Or it might just say that we deep down think that we're better than that person. It shows that when we say hurtful things to people, it shows deep down that we actually genuinely believe that we are better than them. Or maybe it shows that we have some self-worth issues and we're tearing them down to make ourselves feel better when we speak about people behind their backs, when we tell information that we shouldn't spread, when we say things like that, it actually shows that deep down we have an issue. Maybe in that moment it's that we like to feel special. We like to feel like we have privileged information. Or maybe more closer to home. In a fight. And we've all been there, haven't we? Where we have been in a fight with people that we love, whether it's our spouse whether it's our family, whether it's our parents, whether it's our colleagues, we've all been in that moment where we've been in a fight and we've said things that we shouldn't have said. We've said hurtful things. We've said rash things. We've said things that we shouldn't have said in the way that we said them. But in that moment, in that fight, if we could just take a step out and think about it for a moment, the reason, the whole reason we're fighting is because we think the other person has a problem. Right? The reason we're fighting is because we're convinced the other person has a problem. They're selfish. They didn't think about me. They didn't love me. They didn't put me first. They didn't care about their family. They spent too much time at work. They didn't think about the kind of day that I had today. If this person wasn't so problematic, we wouldn't be having a fight. But what James and Jesus is both saying what they both are saying is that when we speak, we say rash and hurtful things, it's flowing out of our heart, which means in that moment, we're the ones with the problem. 
And then what happens is, for some reason, the moment disappears. Maybe we sleep it off. Maybe we go to work. Maybe we just have a moment of quiet where we can sort it out. And we come back to the other person. And and what's our go-to in that moment? Our go-to in that moment is this. I'm sorry for what I said. I didn't mean it. You see what Jesus is saying? You see what James is saying? You only say what you mean. You only say what's going on inwardly. So the right and true response in that moment is not, I'm sorry I didn't mean it, but I'm sorry I said what I mean. And I'm a terrible person. I have a broken heart, a heart that wants to put me first over you. A heart that wants to put me first over anyone else. A heart that rejects God. A heart that wants to run away from God. I'm sorry I said what I mean and I have a broken heart. That's the true response. That's what Jesus is getting at here. That's what James is getting at here. See how this warning is so brutal and so massive for us? Because all of us find ourselves in spaces where we say things that we should never have said. And what that reveals deep down is actually that we have a broken heart. A heart that runs away from Jesus. So where do we go in this? Well, we run back to Jesus. We realize in our brokenness We realize that when we stumble with our words, that it reveals a heart that pursues our own desires over his. And we run to Jesus. We run to Jesus who never said a word that he shouldn't have said, but instead says says beautiful words. Words where he knows who we are and still says, come to me. We run to Jesus who says, I will forgive you. We run to Jesus where we find hope and we find peace. We run to Jesus knowing that he alone can save us. In a moment, we're going to sing Jesus Paid It All. And in that song, the chorus is, Sin has left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. This is going to be a moment for us to run back to Jesus. It's going to be a moment not just to say words that we see on a screen, but to believe them, to hold on to them, to cling to these words, and to praise our God who has saved us and loved us. So in this moment, in this last song, let me encourage you, let me join with you as we run to Jesus who has saved us from our brokenness. Let's pray and then let's run. God, we thank you so much that you know the depths of our heart. That you know what we're capable of. And you know that how when we speak and when we stumble, it reveals that there is a big problem inwardly. But God, we thank you that you speak words of beauty. You speak words of joy and you invite us to come to you. God, we pray that that we would do that, that we would run to you. And we pray that in this next song, that this would set us up for a lifetime of running to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.